0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. So our series this summer has focused on stories from the Old Testament that we have maybe never heard before. Today our story comes from an era of Bible history that I think many of us don't explore at all. It's called the Divided kingdom There were 12 tribes in Israel and they were united under their first three kings Saul, David, and Solomon. But after Solomon, the kingdom splits. There's 10 tribes in the north that take the name Israel and two tribes in the south that take the name Judah. Now, how familiar are we with this era called the divided kingdom? A good portion of the Old Testament is from this era of history. We have two books of kings, two books of chronicles, and most of the prophets speak during this era of the divided kingdom. But if I give you these names, Jeroboam, Ahab, Ahaziah, Zimri, Jehu, Hoshia, Do those names mean much to you? Admittedly, it's a lot of names to keep track of. We've got 20 kings in the north, 20 kings in the south, and even when you devote a lot of study to this period, it's still hard to keep it all straight. Well, today we want to look at one king in the southern kingdom of Judah, and his name is Josiah. We read in our scripture reading for today in 2 Kings 22 that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. My daughter, Stacia, is eight years old. It's Kind of a scary thought. So how does an eight-year-old take the throne? A little history lesson. Josiah's great-grandpa was Hezekiah. We talked about Hezekiah a few weeks back. Hezekiah was the one where the Assyrian army was invading Jerusalem and Hezekiah prayed to God and God kept Jerusalem safe. And then Hezekiah is told that he's going to die and so he prays to God and God grants him 15 years of extra life. Hezekiah was a good and faithful king. That was Josiah's great-grandpa. Josiah's grandpa... The next in line is Manasseh. And the Bible describes Manasseh as as about as evil as they come. And then Josiah's father was Amon, who was also described as an evil king. And he was eventually assassinated by his own servants, which leads to Josiah taking the throne at eight years old. So... What kind of king would Josiah be? Would he be a good and faithful king like great-grandpa Hezekiah? Or would he be bad and evil like his grandpa Manasseh or his father Amon? Our Old Testament reading today describes Josiah this way. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. He walked in all the way of David. What does that phrase mean? I think we're first tempted to think that that implies some kind of great morality. But when you look at the life of David, you see that he was not a great moral man. But there are two things that we do notice about David. One, he only worshipped the one true God. You don't have any examples of David falling into idolatry. So he worshipped the one true God and David attempted to centralize all spiritual and political authority in Jerusalem. So if you were a king, Who only worshiped the one true God, and you encouraged all your people to worship the one true God, and you encouraged them to worship that God in Jerusalem, you were said to have walked in the way of David. This is why none of the other kings in the north were considered a good king. Because none of those kings would want to encourage their people to go into the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, where the temple is, to worship. So in the north, they built their own shrines, their own worship sites. They appointed their own priests. They created their own feasts and celebrations, basically creating their own religion in the north to keep the people in the north from going south. But Josiah is king in the south, and he seems to value the importance of Jerusalem. And so at the age of 26, he orders that the temple should be renovated. And it's during this renovation that the high priest named Hilkiah finds a book. And not just any book, the book of the law, God's word. And this is seen as a surprise, as a shock to find God's word in God's worship place. Now, imagine if Zion Lutheran Church is going to engage in some house cleaning, and so we get Junior Fugleseth and a team of guys to go out and clean the church. And Junior comes back the next day and says, "Guess what I found? You'll never guess." Up in a closet, upstairs, tucked away, I found a Bible. What would that say about our church if we were shocked to find a Bible in it? And yet it seems that finding the book of the law in the temple, which is probably at least Deuteronomy, maybe all the books of Moses, that they find this in the temple and it's shocking doesn't this show us the hazardous effect of Manasseh's and Amon's reign? God's word was lost and then it was replaced by false religions and sinful practices. This wasn't supposed to happen. God said very early on in Deuteronomy 17 that any future king of God's people had these instructions. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, and his heart may not be lifted up above his brother's that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom. Any future king of God's people was to write by hand a copy of God's word and then read it, learn it, obey it, love it all the days of his life. Every single day. He was supposed to keep it with him. But obviously, that wasn't happening. The book became lost, and other things took its place. Until Hilkiah finds it, and he gives it to Shaphan, the secretary, who then brings it and reads it to Josiah. They had lost the book, And the kingdom suffered greatly because of it. So what about you? Where is your Bible? In this room alone, there is close to 130 copies of the Bible. And I'm guessing most of them are closed right now. Studies say that the average American home has at least four Bibles in it. So there's a good chance that you could easily point to a Bible on your coffee table, on your bookshelf, on your nightstand. Anybody with a smartphone can call up the Bible quickly in almost any translation there is. But the sad truth is, for many Christians, the Bible isn't with them. It may be beside them or around them or on their phones, but it isn't a part of them. We have Bibles galore, but we aren't reading them. And so we have to have sermon series titled, Never Heard That One Before, because we have literally never heard these words from God before. So where is your Bible? God doesn't just want to find our Bible around us, but a part of us. You have a hymnal in front of you. I encourage you to take your hymnal. Just flip the front cover, and you'll see a list of prayers there on the very first page. The prayer that we're looking at is the one we used earlier in the service. It's at the bottom of the page, and it's titled, For Blessing on the Word. I come back to this prayer often. I like how it's worded, and I want you to listen to it one more time. It says, Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed, Make it a word of power and peace to convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to saving faith. Now, listen to this. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you send it. Where is your Bible? Well, this prayer tells us where God wants to find his word. In our ears, in our hearts, on our lips, and lived out in our lives. So is your Bible in your ears? You're here at church this morning hearing God's word, and that is a good thing. But will this be the only time this week that you hear God's word. At Zion, we have devotion books back in the fellowship hall. We have various Bible study opportunities, and in the news part of your bulletin, you'll see a list of all the fall uh, Bible studies that are going to be offered here at Zion. I encourage you to look at that list and see if one of those fits. We offer other resources to connect you to God's word, like the online Grow at Home material. Take advantage of those. But also, don't neglect the hearing of God's word in your own personal time and with your family. Is it in your ears? Is it in your hearts? When Josiah had the book of the law read to him, the Bible says he tore his clothes. He felt anguish. Josiah knew God's word, spoke law and gospel, judgment and blessing. And he knew that it all applied to him personally. Many people say they don't read the Bible because they don't understand it. I think most people don't read it because it's uncomfortable. It convicts our sinful hearts. And it calls us for repentance and life change. In your ears, in your hearts, is the Bible on your lips? Deuteronomy 6 tells us to talk of God's word when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Are you confessing out loud the saving truths of Jesus to your family, your friends, your neighbors? As Christians, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light in your ears, in your hearts, on your lips? Is the Bible being lived out in your life? Do people see your faith making a difference in your life? Josiah heard the word, and immediately he began a campaign to rid the land of false gods and pagan worship practices. Our lives are also changed by constant engagement with God's word. Study after study shows that people who are regularly engaged with God's word tend to feel less lonely, less angry, less bitter. They are more likely to avoid various temptations and addictions, and they are much more comfortable sharing their faith and discipling others. All of this backs up a simple truth. A small Bible equals a small Jesus, which equals a small discipleship. But a big Bible, reading more of the Bible, leads to a big Jesus, which leads to a big discipleship, big life change. Still, we don't only engage the Bible daily just to clean up our lives. We read the word So we grow in our relationship with the word, Jesus Christ. The Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And then John ends his gospel by saying, these are written So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. As sinners surrounded by Bibles, it's so easy for us to leave the Bible in the pew, on the shelf, or closed on our nightstand. We're not afraid of reading the Bible. We are afraid of the Bible reading us. Yet, God's word comes to us. God is speaking. Hebrews chapter 1 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus came to us as the word made flesh to live a perfect life in our place, die for our sins, and to rise again so we also might rise after death. The Holy Spirit works through our daily encounters with God's word to convict us of our sin and to comfort us with the saving gospel of Jesus and the forgiveness that only he can offer us. The fact that God's word is so readily available is not something to take for granted, but it's a gift that God is using to keep our faith alive and well. King Josiah had lost his Bible, but by God's grace, it found its way back into his life, and he responded to it. So I'll ask you one more time. Where is your Bible? Is it daily in your ears? in your heart, on your lips, and lived out in your life. God's word is a gift, a precious, life-changing gift, and gifts were meant to be opened. So open your Bible and read it, and let the Bible read you. Let it show you your sin, but also Let it show you your precious Savior, Jesus, who loves you, forgives you, and walks with you each and every day. And it's in the name of that Savior that we pray that these things would be true. Amen.